Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message. All right, so as those are coming around, I just want to introduce myself. My name is Emily. I'm on the preaching team here at the Vineyard. Um, and I want to know, how was everybody's Thanksgiving? Yeah, good. I see some thumbs up even. I mean, that's like high praise. Uh, I had a great Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving in my family is a holiday that has a lot of tradition. And I'm going to see if my traditions and your traditions match up. You ready? This is participatory. Okay. How many of you watch the parade? It's like a can't miss at my house. Okay. And when I found out that it was going to be on at 8.30 this year, I was like, why? So early. Okay. So 8.30. Parade. Now, the real question is how many of you then stay tuned in for the dog show? Come on! It's so good. (laughs) We're a dog show family at our house, Uh, mainly because one of our kids is like, they're so cute, just all the time. So, okay. Um, How many of you are a turkey family? Pretty much everybody should. Okay. But here's my question. How many of you are a ham family? God, I, I envy you ham people. I want to be a ham fam, but everybody's like, we must do a turkey. So... I'm not doing both. I don't have time to do both. Golly. Buy a ham? Jeremy. Okay, he's changed my life. I'll consider it. All right. Uh, and my last question is, are we like traditional desserts, like pumpkin pie? Do, does anybody, did anybody's like great aunt so-and-so bring something weird? <laughs> what? Fruitcake on Thanksgiving? Okay. Some, I'm not, I'm not going to yuck someone's yum. Okay. All right. That's fine. Well, here's the thing about tradition. Um, we are moving into a season right now that is really for a lot of families uh, uh, steeped in traditions, right? You've got your dog shows and your parades and your pumpkin pies and your turkeys or your ham. Uh, but here's the other thing that I've been thinking a lot about this week is that as Christians, we too are part of a tradition, right? Uh, In fact, we're part of a tradition that goes back for a millennia, millennia, plural, right? Um, When we talk about prayer and Bible reading and worship, you know, these are not like things that the American evangelical church invented as measuring uh, points for like what a good Christian does. People have been doing this for centuries, right? And it's our tradition as well. Uh, These are things, traditions really basically show us like what we hold as being of supreme value, right? So if we take our traditions away, it makes us kind of like less of who we are as people. So we're going to talk about something today that defines us as part of our tradition as Christians. And if you were to take this one thing away, uh, it would overturn the apple cart, so to speak. And that is that we are a people who wait. 
We are a people who wait. Um, If I think back onto some of the most transformational seasons of my life, um, like the ones that I come out of looking more like Jesus, and then I can also point back to and say, like, look what the Lord has done. It's in seasons of waiting. It's in ways that waiting has formed me. So this morning, I want to explore a few examples throughout the Bible to help us understand that as long as there has been a God in heaven who interacts with humanity, there has been waiting. Now, is this going to be an exhaustive list? Of course not. You're welcome, by the way. No, but we are going to look at four examples. I think we can handle four examples. The first, oh, and by the way, Seth, are you ready? There's a lot of slides here today. So I'm going to be putting Seth through his paces, but I believe in you. You can do this. Okay. The first is Moses. So we're going way far back. All right. We know the story of Moses. Let me sum it up really quick. The Israelites, they're enslaved in Egypt. God hears their cries. He raises up Moses, who challenges Pharaoh. And there's like plagues and stuff, right? And then eventually, (laughs) we're going to skip over this, eventually, uh, plagues and stuff, TM, uh, eventually Moses leads them out of captivity. And then what happens? Do they immediately come into the land that God has promised for them and they are like super obedient and faithful and they don't whine or complain at all and everything goes perfectly well for them the rest of their lives? Is that what happens? It is not what happens. Uh, They wander in the wilderness for like a long time. They have a lot of victories, but they have a lot of challenges too. And through it all, Moses is their leader, right? He is leading them. He's like interceding for them on on their behalf because they're like, if we go up the mountain, we'll die. Like you go, Moses, not, not us. Uh, he fights alongside them. He fights with them. Uh, and when they get to the point where God is finally like, it's time, like, you're going to go over into the promised land. Let's read what happens. Pull up the first slide, Deuteronomy 3, 23 through 28. And this is Moses talking, by the way. At that time, I pleaded with the Lord and said, Oh, sovereign Lord, you have only begun to show your greatness and the strength of your hand to me, your servant. Is there any God in heaven or on earth who can perform such great and mighty deeds as you do? And here was Moses' request. Please let me cross the Jordan to see the wonderful land on the other side, the beautiful hill country. I'm not going to do it. And the Lebanon Mountains. <laughs> the Lebanon Mountains. But the Lord was angry with Moses because of the people. So angry with me because of you. And he wouldn't listen to me. That's enough, he declared. Speak of it no more. Go up to Pisgah Peak and look over the land in every direction. Take a good look, but you can't, you can't go in. You may not cross the Jordan River. Instead, commission Joshua and encourage and strengthen him, for he will lead the people across the Jordan. He will give them all the land you now see. 
before you as their possession. I think this might be one of the biggest gut punches in the entire Bible. I remember the first time I read this, uh, I was probably a teenager, but I read it with understanding. And I was like, excuse me? It might be the first time that I was like, difficult like you know like this is a hard text to read he waited for decades and decades and he didn't get to go in are you kidding me and like god didn't change his mind he did not go in i think there's something in that for us today There are probably people in this room who are waiting for things and you're never going to get to fully participate in them. Because sometimes these things that we're waiting for, they take a generation or two or three to come to fruition. Is this tracking with anyone? Uh, I hope that I live to see my grandkids. I probably will. If I'm really lucky. I'll live to see my great-grandchildren, right? But I'm not assured of that. None of us are. So does that mean I just give up, right? Does that mean I stop raising my own children right now in this moment at almost three, seven and nine years old to hear and know and love God? Of course not. Of course not. Even when what we're waiting for is not something we'll ever see with our own eyes, our waiting is not in vain. I want to draw your attention again to verse number 28. Instead, commission Joshua and encourage and strengthen him. You see, God tells Moses to start investing in Joshua because it was Joshua who was actually going to be the one to take the nation into the promised land. And that's what Moses did. And I just wonder uh, if any of us have a Joshua-like figure in our lives. And if you do, are you investing in them? Are you encouraging and strengthening that person? This is what gives meaning to long waits that we may never see the fruits of. Uh, We will tend to and care for the ones who will actually be doing the harvesting. Your waiting is never, ever in vain. Now it's time to take a drink. Guys, the coffee's cold. Help me. All right. Number two. Sometimes waiting can feel like being forgotten. I want to tell you all a story about the worst time that I was ever forgotten. It wasn't as a kid. Here's what happened. Uh, Several years ago, I had to have a biopsy done. And I waited for a week. And then I went back for my results. And the doctor was like, it's cancer. And I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, it's cancer. We got to get this out. And I was like, okay. Uh, And I'm in the room by myself. And he's like, we're having surgery. Here's how we treat it, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, okay. And so we get it all scheduled. And he's like, okay, you sit tight. And our nurse, my nurse will be back. She's got some pre-op paperwork for you. And then you can leave. They straight up forgot about me. I was left alone 
in that room, having just been told you have cancer for an hour. And when the nurse came back in, guys, I felt worse for her than I did (laughs) for myself in that moment. She was just white as a ghost. She was like, we forgot about you. (laughs) I was like, okay, see, being forgotten about is terrible. But especially in your moment of waiting, in your moment of like deepest felt need, being forgotten about is like soul crushing. If I hadn't been forgotten about, I would not remember much about that appointment other than like, you know, it changed the trajectory of the rest of my life. But um, I wouldn't remember much about it, but it's because I was forgotten about that I remember it so vividly to this day. Well, David was no stranger to that feeling either. Now I'm talking about, you know, King David. We're not talking about the little shepherd boy today. We're not talking about Goliath. Uh, We're not talking about Saul or Jonathan or Bathsheba. Today we're going to be talking about David, the poet. David, the author of most of the Psalms. And here's the beautiful thing about the Psalms is that in our tradition, these are what Christians for centuries and centuries have been able to engage with and to sing and to pray in their times of waiting and sometimes forgottenness. Let's go to Psalm 13. Here's what David says. Oh Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes, or what? I will die. See, a lot of our waiting happens in the dark. It is happening in moments where we wonder if God is even listening. Uh, It's when the Sunday school answers stop working for us. Uh, And it's made all the more difficult because if we're living devoted lives, like we've been talking about for the last several weeks, if we're living devoted lives, we've probably said no to some things that would give us the quick and easy answers that we are waiting for. When we're in dark seasons of waiting and feel forgotten, we might feel like this next psalm. I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like everyone else. Have you ever felt that sometimes? Yeah. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. And then in verse 11, what does God know, they ask? Does the Most High even know what's happening? Look at these wicked people enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. It's a real upper, really. (laughs) 
But how many of you in seasons of waiting on the Lord or waiting on your circumstances to change have ever felt like that? I sure have. And the point of today's message is not to say waiting is who we are, so get used to it. That's not it at all. In fact, the point of today's message is to say it's normal to think, has God forgotten me? It's normal to think, has this all been for nothing? These are normal thoughts, and you're not any less of a Christian if you have these thoughts. It's part of our tradition. So if you hold that in one hand, I want to give you some good news in the other hand. You've not been forgotten by God. Let's pull up one more psalm. Psalm 139, this might be my favorite, some of, it ranks up there, some of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to, be, to become night, but even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. If darkness is as light to God, then he can see you even in your darkest moments of uncertainty and waiting. You've not been forgotten by God. In fact, he is right beside you. And not only that, I would like to emphasize again that this is not all in vain. It's really not. Uh, A lot of times when I'm preparing to preach, I sometimes have these little thoughts like, Come on, Emily. What do you really have to offer here? You know, you're relatively young. You're not like oppressed. Like, what do you, yeah. Uh, That's what my voice in my head sounds like. Come on, whatever. But when it comes to waiting on the Lord to act or heal, well, that I know a lot about. I am well acquainted with it. And I'm going to bet that some of you in this room are too. I'm going to share a quote from Ruth Haley Barton. Here's what she says. Because we have met God in the waiting place, rather than running away or giving in to panic or deceiving ourselves into thinking things are better than they are, ooh, We are able to stand firm and believe God in a way that makes it possible for others to follow suit. You see, waiting is not just an individual pursuit that each one of us has to go through. Not in this space, not in this tradition that we follow. Um, We actually were never meant to wait alone. And those of us who have faced a dark night of waiting and who have come out on the other side of it, you have a job now. And your job is to come alongside those who are in a waiting moment and to show them where the Lord is in their life and in their moment of struggle. But you can't lead in that way until you go through it first. Yeah. This leads me to my next example. Let's talk about a people, a group 
who wait. Um, if there was ever a group of people familiar with waiting, it's the early church, right? Uh, this is the church that like grew after Jesus ascended and it was full of people who had like seen him. This blows my mind, right? Had like been with him and seen him and talked to him face to face. So they heard Jesus say things like this. Let's pull up Mark 13. Jesus said, however, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. His return. Not even the angels in heaven or the son himself. Only the father knows. And since you don't know when that time will come, be on guard. Stay alert. So they heard Jesus say things like this, and their letters to each other looked a lot like this. Let's pull up the next slide. This is 2 Peter 3, 11 through 14. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live. And I really want us to focus on verse 12. Looking forward to the day of God, so waiting, and hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth he has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you're waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. The early church were people who were waiting on Jesus to return. And in their mind, I'm, I'm willing to bet that they would think like, well, may, maybe at the most, one lifetime. Not thousands of years, right? Um, so did they sit around and just like run down the clock? Did they do that? No, they did not. That's the answer. No, they did not. Uh, one of my favorite writers and theologians is a woman named, you guys, this name, Fleming Rutledge. She's so great. Uh, she's so great. Uh, and when Fleming talks about what it looks like to be a people who wait, she points out that in Second Peter, Seth, can you go back to the other slide? You're like really on top of it. Thank you though. Okay. Um, she points out that in Second Peter 12, that verse 12, we are told to look forward to the day of God's coming. So like wait for it, but also hurry it. And how do you do that? How do you wait for something and then also try to make it happen faster? Here's what she says. Okay, now you can go to the next slide. She calls this waiting in action. So the church responds by doing the works of the day, the works of the light, the ministry to the prisoners, the soup and sandwiches for the hungry, the houses for the low-income families, the birthday parties for the children who have no parties. These are lamps shining in dark places. These are works that glorify Christ while we wait for him. This is action while waiting. Yeah. So if our roots are in this action while waiting that formed the early church, they never stopped living their lives while waiting for Jesus to return. But it's the waiting that informed what they did with their lives. And here's what they did. They did stuff like caring for the poor, 
They did stuff like sharing their possessions and eating their meals together and worshiping and praying and in everyday interactions, like at work, telling people what they had seen of Jesus. And there is nothing about any of that that we cannot emulate as well. That's what waiting looks like for us. In fact, that brings me to my final point. We've talked about Moses. We've talked about David. We've talked about the early church, but what about us? What about the church in 2023? Almost 2024. And the question I have is, well, what are we waiting for? This is a really pertinent question to ask as we are on the doorstep of Advent, which starts next week. And if we're ever going to choose a time to lean into this long-standing Christian tradition of being people who wait, it's now. Because in Advent, what we find uh, is that waiting is not this like dry, boring tradition of the church, but it's actually like embodied in all of us. If we only treat Advent as a countdown to Christmas... We have really missed the point. There's nothing wrong with a countdown to Christmas. Like, get your calendars out. There's a little piece of chocolate behind each one, and that's great, right? We love that. There's nothing wrong with it. But if that's all we're thinking it is, we have really missed the point. So I want to read one more passage and just show you what we're waiting for. We're going to Revelation. (laughs) Here we go. But it's so good. Revelation 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a shout from the throne saying, look, this is what we're waiting for. God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. Every tear that you've collected in seasons of waiting, guess what? He's going to wipe it away. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All of these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down. For what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. And I will be their God. And they will be my children. That's what we're waiting for. I want to just read one more quote. This is also from Fleming. God bless her. But here's what she says. Let's pull this up. It's not on there? All right, I'll just read it. All the Advent preparation in the world would not be enough unless God were favorably disposed to us in the first place. 
Advent is not just a time to remember that we're waiting for God. It's a time to remember that even in our waiting, God is inclined toward us. And that's what makes the sowing in, the the forgottenness, the long drawn out seasons of waiting, that's what makes it bearable. Is that God is inclined toward us and that we are waiting for the time in which he makes his home with us. So worship team, you can come on up. Get your guitars tuned. Disco, get tuned. (laughs) Tune your shaker. (sighs) Let's go ahead and stand. I know that there are probably people in this room who are like, I'm not waiting for anything. It doesn't matter to me. And there's probably also people in this room who are like, that's how they sound. I'm not waiting for anything. Uh, That's how I sound, Adam, when I'm not. Okay. Um... But there are also people in this room who are like, this is my whole life. Like, I've been waiting for this or that or whatever, and I've not even heard boo from God, right? So we want to hold both of those uh, in tension this morning. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing one last song. And Glenn said we're going out with a banger, so (laughs) prepare your hearts. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah, but also at the end of the at the end of the song, after the song's over, there's going to be a ministry team right here, and they are here to pray for you. It's the whole reason they came to church this morning. Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.